Welcome back. It's Jokerman Podcast again. And again, I'm Evan. I'm Ian. I'm I'm the guest. I'm Dean. And it's Dean again. <laughs> There's just a lot of uh, agains tonight. That's right. Back again. We're here for uh, uh, actually a, a special episode, and that's why we wanted to have Dean back so quickly. Uh, and and uh, Dean, thank you again for being willing to be roped back into this, um, because we are here to talk tonight about uh, two TVs, uh, Tom Verlaine and his band Television, uh, on the occasion of his uh, recent passing. Uh, and we couldn't think of anyone better to honor the man's memory, honor the band, uh, than, uh, than you yourself. Oh, thanks. There probably are better people, but you've got me. Well, Richard Hell was uh, uh, unavailable. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? No, we. Uh, I mean, we both just saw you on uh, the Luna tour, the Luna California tour last month, and those shows. I think. I, I mean, I know the San Francisco shows up here ended with Marky Moon, and I, I think the Los Angeles ones we did, a, did as well. We but did. That was an absolutely ferocious way to close those out. Yes. It's a challenge. That song is a challenge, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Marky Moon. It's long. Um, you can't just wing it. Uh, maybe there's a little section where so, but you, you kind of you can't screw it up, or you really feel it if you screw it up, because it's like you. It's as if you're like tackling some Beethoven quartet. So it's just like everything is in its place. And the bass has got to play this, these notes at this place. And, and, it, and it's also, it, it kind of flips around on you in a strange way. Um, the, 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 the structure of it. So, uh, right. Is that one that's been in the Luna repertoire for a while? Or is this something that you just start kind of... You covered it, right? We, co- we covered the- it during the pandemic. It was actually our, our ex-bass player... Uh, Justin Harwood, he sent a note to the band saying, should we cover Marky Moon? And I was like, what? At first I thought he meant the whole album, and I thought that's really ridiculous. But even the, <laughs> even the song, I'm like, wow, what? How are we going to do that? But we well, we did it remotely, too. We couldn't, I mean, it was, this was early pandemic when people were you know, afraid to even be in rooms together. Um, right. or couldn't travel anyway. So we did it piece by piece. Sounds quite painstaking. Yes, it was quite painstaking. Yeah. You know, I have to say that, um, the bulk of the work of the guitar work was done by Sean Eden, my, uh, my, my, my comrade in the band. So that was nice of him. Um, Shouts out. yes. So then what, all I had to do was come in and, uh, well, I doubled that uh, little do 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 do, and and I played down some atmospheric stuff, and then I had to sing the song. And, um, and how was that? <laughs> yeah, that was difficult, and I didn't that, that I didn't realize that was going to be difficult. But sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I just I, I listened to it. I started trying to sing it like Tom Verlaine. It's it's well, it's it was quite high in my range. And, and it's just kind of, it's like this, got this weird kind of angry adolescence snarl to it that it just, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes as, as a, as a singer, you're like, can I, can I do this or not? Can I pull this off? And I'm like, no, I can't like, just like I can't pull off Robert Plant either. So, Mm. um, (laughs) so I, you know, you gotta, you, uh, well, me as a singer, I, I try and 
find a way of bringing it closer to my personality. So I just, I I did it like a whole, a whole register lower and just did it about 10 times till I got comfortable. But, but it was, uh, it was um, interesting to me. I, I think, you know, Britta and I saw a television play at at the at Knoxville at the in the Knoxville, Tennessee, the Big Ears Festival years ago, and she turned to me mm-hmm. and, and she just said, "You know what it is that, that's so great? It's his it's his singing." She's mm-hmm. like, "Without without that, you know, yes, obviously the guitar playing is great, but without that, it's you know, it's you know, four dudes playing guitar music." Something about the way that those parts are feels like there are lyrics in his solos. They're so full of these little phrases. And they mirror his singing in interesting ways, everything about the music. It's like almost doubly lyrical. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's probably true of, of all the guitar solos on that record, both Lloyd's and, and, and Berlain's both. That um, you, I, I don't know, I just feel like I, I couldn't play them note for note, but I kind of know them. No, I know that record well enough that I know every note is coming there. Like you could sing it. Yes, I could sing the solo. <laughs> you should have done an acapella uh, rendition of Marky Moon. But that's true. That is the mark of a good one, though. I think that it's not just somebody you know wanking on guitar. It's like no, this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell also some of the some of the guitar parts are double tracked, which means obviously that they knew exactly what they were doing um, because they were going to you know, re- record it twice. Right. And I mean, what's so remarkable about, I mean, the studio, I mean, Marky Moon is remarkable in every kind of context, uh, but the studio cut of the song on the record was just the guys in the room. Yes. Like a one take thing. And as difficult as it must have been to piece this thing together, you know, remotely with people, you know, all across the world uh, with modern day technology, just the, the like absolute bravura uh, performance to just get guys in a room and cut that in 10 and a half minutes and just be like, yep, that's on the record. That's it. We're done is, I mean, it's, it's nothing short of, you know, it's a miracle. Yeah. It's, it's a miracle of music. Yeah. Literally. It is like up there with like a Rolling Stone and that being recorded and, you know, one, a few takes. And then that was that the whole record, it feels like it is just happening. It's just literally happening. Yeah, but I think I think in this case they knew ex- they knew exactly how every song was going to happen. Right, Whereas I would say where I would say with, like with, with yeah with Dylan like he'll be and they'll be like he'll do the song like eight different ways. Like, Let's try it this way. Let's try it this. So you you really right. know. but um, <laughs> I think they've been playing uh, these songs for a while, rehearsing every day for a while. I, I listened last night to. Um, what's called the the Eno demos Eno yes. with uh, Richard w- Williams I think his name was I guess in in 1975 the, he got brought to a show and there this guy's like yeah we're gonna we're gonna record you and they did five songs Marky Moon is one of them and uh you know they're, they're okay but I guess Tom Verlaine apparently just kept saying which is saying to Brian Eno why does everything sound so shitty <laughs> <laughs> and and I think uh listening to those He's absolutely right. (laughs) I mean, they, you know, they're they're still great because it's, you know, television, but they're but they're not what they were a year and a half later. I I think 
what Valene, I guess, wanted to do was get a get a really good engineer to capture the band, but he didn't want someone coming and telling telling them do this, do that. Yeah, someone that was going to wield their own kind of influence yeah. over the sound. It was just more about like he knew that this group at this moment in time had the sound down. We just needed to get it right and make it come across as clearly as it could. And I mean, fucking based on the fact that they could go into the studio and cut Marky Moon in one take, he was right as hell. Yeah. I do want to just acknowledge that the week of, um, I was really, really sad by the news and i think a lot of people were it was actually surprising to me how much it impacted me um because i think there's something about what they achieved and what he achieved that feels like you don't even think about it much it's be- it became like kind of part of how i and i think a lot of other people just thought about music yeah and he's pretty young too and yeah yeah, yeah. Relatively healthy, I guess. His his only vice was was was, was smoking, but uh, not a drinker. Of all everyone in that band, he was you know probably the most sober. Well, you wrote so beautifully about him uh, in this piece that we'll make sure to uh, link along with the episode um, uh, in Counterpunch, uh, you know, Encounters with Tom Verlaine, it's called. Um, and uh, you just kind of trace some of, you know, some of your encounters with him. And I think last time when we had you on, when we talked Loaded, you talked about bringing Sterling in to uh, play with you on Bewitched. Uh, and wouldn't you know it here, uh, um, Tom Verlaine uh, makes an appearance on Penthouse just the, the year the year after. That's a pretty uh, extraordinary one-two punch of uh, yeah, of, know, of guests. That's <laughs> true. It's true. We were <laughs> we were lucky. I guess lucky that we got to you know that we happened to do that Velvet Underground tour and meet meet Sterling Morrison and could put the question to him: Do you want to play on this record? It's like us getting guests on the podcast, but much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the next one, yeah, we wanted to make our next record. And in Luna, we we were always trying to in the in this this in the early nineties trying to find records that had a somewhat natural production, um, not you know not too eighties and 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 not grunge. Um, anyway, we we liked the that the. What's the record? It's just called Television. It's, it's their third album. The it's, third it's, album. it's the, yeah. it's the uh, reunion, reunion album. We really, yeah. yeah, we like the sound of that. And that was done by um, an engineer named Mario Salvati, who did a lot of Tom's solo work, too. I think Penthouse sounds great. I think you executed that. Yeah, no, I think it does, too. I'm, I'm, we're, we're very, very happy with that record. And <laughs> um, it was all done at the, salt, the studio Sorcerer down in um, Tribeca when there were recording studios in Manhattan. Now they're mostly gone. Right. Um, and we asked Mario, do you think you could get Tom Blaine to come play? And he said, well, actually, you know, if you, he, li- he likes to record at night. He's a nighter. So if you let him come in at night and use some of the hours that you've paid for, then uh, he agreed to do it. He came in. Um, he had a lot of his equipment in that studio. We were in the, the cheaper, the B room upstairs, which is actually very nice. But um, he had some of his amps sitting around and, you know, a, a suitcase full of, of vacuum tubes for amps. And uh, he came in 
uh, with his uh, with his beret. I think he's wearing a beret, <laughs> like on the cover of a flashlight. Yeah, and the cigarettes that he would roll, and um, we played him a few things. We were like, we were like, well, maybe you'd like for freaking and peeking this long. So I was like, no, no, I don't like that one so much. But he, <laughs> but um, twenty three minutes in Brussels. Which was, uh, it was like nine minutes long. Anyway, he played a, he plays for like five solid minutes on that. Nice. Yeah. And he just, all one long take, and then he was just, like, it was a few spots. He's like, oh, just drop me in, drop me back in here. I just want to fix this little thing. And, and it was very quick. And he was happy with it, too, which was nice. It's a great, it's a great guitar solo. And that's actually 23 Minutes in Brussels, but it is on, according to Spotify, is our most popular song. So really? Maybe it's, wow. maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's due yeah, to it's him. it's got uh, a yeah. whole lot on here. How many? Over five million. Over there. That's pretty. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> that's what Beyonce gets daily, right? <laughs> Every fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you're certainly beating us by a healthy margin. Um, and then um, the other song he played on was was Moon Palace, and he had this like twelve string guitar sitting around that I was like, I can't even play this thing. That the, the action was so high, it was wow. hard to play. But he was able to play it, and I was surprised that he that he that he picked it up. So I'm not aware of him using that elsewhere. Do you recall like the first time you heard Tom Verlaine's music or television? Well, it would have been in in high school. Uh, it would have been like tenth grade. It's nineteen seventy eight. By the time I heard of them, they had just broken. They they would have they broke up in the summer of nineteen seventy eight. I also think that was the first time I heard them. It was uh, in probably ninth or tenth grade. And I also couldn't go see them. <laughs> well, um, I had this. I had this drama teacher Van Goss who like played played a lot of music for for me and a, and a few friends of mine. And he was he was like, oh, you know, Richard Lloyd's the Richard Lloyd Quartet is playing around town. You got to go see them. They're really great. I never did. Um, the closest I came to this was, I, and actually, my my first show at CBGBs was seeing Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Wow. wow. Um, and back then in, at CBS, you know, they would do like two bands doing two sets a night. I don't remember what the other band was. When I was living in New York for most of the last 10 years, I would spot these people sometimes. Like I, I would see Patti Smith on the street yeah. or I yeah. saw Richard Hell or I saw Tom Verlaine like three different times just walking around. He liked to look at the the bargain books outside of strand well the, you know what the amazing thing about that is because i've yeah i've seen photos of him looking at the books out there i, mean, I think two I, of the times i saw him he was just doing that but the amazing thing is that he he worked there at the strand he worked in the at night. the strand yeah yeah in, in the in the 70s when he first came to new york so in the oh, yeah wow so uh it's kind of cool that you you see him there all these years later and that that's what he likes to go go and look at look at at books at the 
the Strand. There's, there's something beautiful about that. He worked there, and he worked at uh, what is, I think, Cinemabilia, I guess, is another store that he, he worked at. And Richard Hell worked there, and Robert Quine worked there also. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a but hell of a yes, store. I, yes. But yeah, I used to see those, see all those figures walking around the village too. And I, I also saw that, or you talked in um, that piece about having sort of selected a, a crack team of uh, great musicians to play the Andy Warhol event um, where the, it was to be through the Andy Warhol Museum, a score, like doing a live score for some of his yes. scene films. Yeah, so that's how I, I, I reconnected with Tom. Long, long, like, oh God, must be like 13 years after we did Penthouse. Um, yeah, I was doing this project with the Andy Warhol Museum, um, musicians scoring silent films, short silent films. Um, you, you had great picks, great selections. Oh, thank you. That, well, it was I, I, it's Martin Rev was in. Yeah, too, Martin Rev. That's another like, person I used to see. Like I'm not the same. I I swear I yeah, did yeah. see him once. I would see him going to do his laundry. Uh, <laughs> I would rather watch Martin Rev do his laundry than most people <laughs> do anything. Yeah. So the, the, those two and Elena Friedberger and myself with with the band and um, and Bradford Cox. Um, but um, the show uh, that that show um, opened every. We, we only did it. We did it like six or seven times. It was hard to travel with all those people. It's to 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 get everyone on the same schedule. But sure. Tom would open the show playing these, you know, just very quiet, delicate pieces, and then um, and then Martin Rev would come out, and it would just be like the, and it would just be a total ruckus, just like <laughs> an assault, which is was kind of great. Well, he would do those uh, intermittently. I mean, just to touch on Martin Rev, like that's. Uh, we should do some Martin Rev episodes. We will definitely do some suicide and some Martin Rev. I did get to see suicide at Webster Hall, um, which was a great thing to have happened. To uh, and as for his music, I'm always just uh, so tickled by like how it'll go from doo-wop to harsh noise. Yes, or like a combination of, of like of, di- disco. He did like a like kind right. of this disco thing with noise, and he would pound at this uh, actually. R- rented keyboard. He actually busted one of them. Just like, and, yeah, he was, he was wearing ski goggles and stuff. <laughs> yes, he always put. He 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 dresses uh, incredible to the hilt. But yeah, when I mentioned to, I had lunch with Tom and I, at the when I was discussing the project when I mentioned Martin Rev, he's like, "Oh, that's a great idea." You know, I I saw them at the Mercer Art Center, which means it must have been that's the famous venue that the New York Dolls used to play at that mm. that, that actually collapsed in 1973. So. Jesus. It's going back. That's the way a rock venue should go out. <laughs> it's collapsing. <laughs> Certainly a better fate for that than CBGB's. The John Varvato store. And so, so yeah, so you guys did these shows. We did these shows. And um, Tom kept to himself. He was a private, he was a private person. And I think some people interpret that as like rude or haughty or something. I'm like, no, he's just a, like, a, he just likes to keep to himself. And he just, he does what he wants to do. and. I don't know. You know, I don't think he. According to him, he didn't like going out to rock and roll clubs a lot, going out to shows. Or, 
who knows? I don't know. I, I don't know what he did in his in his in his in his time. But um, sure. Um, we did it. So we did those. We did a few U.S. shows in 2014. And then we did it again in in 2016. We went to Europe. And again, I guess you know I have like you know people people might say, oh yeah, he's he's difficult. I'm like, no, he wasn't difficult. He wasn't. He's not. I mean, he's not difficult about uh, things like flights or hotel rooms he was just happy to be in paris and happy to be in london happy <laughs> to be there playing music walking around you know sounds like a a, a hard person to get along with <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but he he did you sort of had to like break through to i don't know to i think this is the case with a lot of artists that to hold them to some kind of standard of uh you know just being like everyone else like yes the whole point is they're not like everyone else yes it's true you know he 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 played um i think 20 i think this is also 2014 he played television played the primavera festival in barcelona yeah yeah and a friend of mine told me he went he saw them and after the first song um tom pulled the band off stage television off stage and we were like what people like what the hell's going on and he pulled them off stage because he had given them the engineer's specific instructions to turn the subs off. The subs are the speakers uh, that, you know, they're great for dance music and they're great for the kick drum. But, uh, you know, sometimes you walk into a club and it's like, oh, why is the drum, kick drum the loudest thing? Or it's like, it's just like boom, boom. And he and he really hated that. So he was like, no, they got to turn, turn the subs off. Also, I mean, also, if you're trying to sing and they're underneath the stage, it can be quite unpleasant. You sure. feel like you're inside a bass drum. So anyway, so he, <laughs> he, he went out there to play and he's like, oh, the subs are on. So I'm leave, I'm leave, we're leaving the stage until you fix this. <laughs> so they fixed it. So uh, yeah, maybe I'm sure he, they did. Maybe, so maybe he was difficult in, in that respect, but that's a good way to be difficult. I wish I was more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he always uh, has, has struck me as someone who, like could have had such a um, more commercially viable, you know, kind of career had he wanted to, because obviously as a lyricist, as a player, just as a musician all around in general, you know, not to one mention of, how he looks. He's like one of the coolest looking people. Yeah, yeah very yes, handsome. Very swell. But I mean, I would say that, you know, maybe his voice would get, the way he sings would get the way that, because that's, I mean, I, I love the way he sings, but some people, you know, would be it's like, a, what the hell acquired, is this? Yeah, it's yeah. an acquired taste. Um, but uh, he always seemed content to just do his thing, you know, just, and there's just the two television albums and then obviously the reunion one. Uh, and there's so much solo stuff though. Like there, there's, there, I, 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 like there's some solo stuff certainly, but like he, he's not nearly as prolific as like Lou or John or Bob, for instance, or and like a lot of it is out of print. That's the thing. Like a lot of it, uh, this. I don't know how many. So, there, were, there were a lot in the eighties. There were like five. He made like five solo albums in the eighties. And 80s. a few instrument that uh, warm and cool is an instrumental record. So Very about, good. That's early nineties, I think, or mid nineties. I, I got to yeah. confess, I'm like mostly you know television and or excuse me, Marky Moon and adventure kind of uh, are, are my touch points on television. The solo career and the the reunion record and stuff. I haven't dug quite as much into, but I think he. I mean, he he seemed like he was just pretty content to just do his thing and you know just be happy working with the people that he worked with you know obviously like he did with you dean and, and just kind of like do what what came naturally to him but didn't feel the need to strive for more than he wanted to you know no, i i think there are a whole lot of recordings that are not released 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll sure. see maybe the, that, that he was working on that. I mean, he was saying I've been working on it. He'd been working on a tel- I mean, I know of, like an en- engineers who have been working on a television record with him. And so we will see, but perhaps he was sort of a perfectionist. Maybe he just wasn't happy with it. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, are you familiar with the, the song on flashlight uh, called the scientist writes a letter? Well, I am. I am because Richard Hell mentioned it the other the, the other day, right? Someone asked me about what my favorite song of his was, and that that's my favorite song. And then someone showed me that Richard Hell said the same. Wow, it's a easy pick in a way if you know his solo stuff because there's not really anything else that sounds like it. Dear Julia. It's really a showcase of his skill as a writer, as a lyricist. It's like a short story. It's yeah. it's it's like Chekhov. It's amazing. It's also a great vocal. It's like yeah. it's like totally. It's almost like Noel Harrison or something. It's like he's just the like the persona he takes on to to yeah to, yeah. to do that song. It's an acting performance. Yes, really. it is. It's, it is. It's it's basically a narrative about from a first person from like the point of view of this uh as far as i can tell a a scientist who's like stranded in some kind of decaying seaside manor uh during winter writing a letter to his unrequited love asking for a, a, like her to send him a, a coat because he's maybe dying <laughs> <laughs> unless chance finds us face to face again just heartbreaking and triumphant and it's the best use i think of something he did a lot in the 80s which he really did go hard on big big drums like for someone who when television was working you know they apparently asked the engineer to not do that yeah he really did a lot of that later with his solo stuff and it works to great effect on, on that song in particular. Yeah. Well, that's the eighties. That's, that is just, <laughs> that's just how things sounded too. Uh, you know? yeah. Even, yeah. even uh, like that, that VU record that came out in the eighties, that was remixed. That, another view that had, had the big drum sound, that big eighties drum sound. on it. <laughs> <laughs> Stadium Mo Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean the the first solo album is 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 great too, and that's got a it's got a couple of songs that were were television songs. It's got Rip. Yankee Time too, which is a a hoot. <laughs> what time did you say it was? It's Yankee Yankee Time, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, it's got, got um, yeah, what Grip of Love, 
Kingdom Come. And, bre- and Breaking My Heart were television stars. Kingdom Come, which, which David Bowie covered. Well, really? Um, and probably not that long after. I think it's on... Scary it, Monsters. Wow, in 1980. Scary Monsters, there it is. Literally the year after. Jesus. Yeah. Man, yeah. he was on top of his shit. And the song Flash Lightning. Do you know the band Papas Fritas? Boston band, anyway. Great, I don't. great band. I really like. They, they, they covered that one. So. Mm. I think that means you've got some good songs if people bother to cover them. Yeah, well, certainly if you've got David Bowie covering it just you know, yeah. a year after it, it, uh, it dropped. That's wild. It's funny to see some of his records like on Wikipedia listed as post-punk for under genre. That is one thing that, like, I, I I've been thinking of it. Just like the 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 way that television was lumped into, or has been lumped into, just like the punk, like punk rock music or something, is such a misnomer. Well, you to spoke me. about this in in the article that the piece you wrote, Dean, which yeah is an important point. Yeah, I mean, I think well, if you listen to the early band, and if you listen to to, uh, to the Neon Boys, the band before that, and then the television when Richard Hell is still in the band, then I would say, you, you, yeah, you could call that punk rock. Not only that, but I mean, they're the ones who, you know, Richard Lloyd and Tom Valley were walking past this place called CBGB's and like went in there and they're like, hey, do you book rock bands? And he's like, no, not rock bands. <laughs> they're the ones who launched CBGB's. They started playing their Sunday nights and without that, it wouldn't have become what it was. I think Richard Health says this too. That he's he he was responsible not so much for the for the musical direction of the band, but for the way they they looked and the the posters and photos and, right. and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the Richard Health. Some even attribute like some of these like main tenets of punk aesthetics to stuff he was just doing, like with his clothes and uh, the way he dressed and looked. Um, so. If your band has Richard Hell in it at any juncture, you you are a punk band. You're right. Yeah, I mean, and they're also, I mean, they're friends from, they know each other from high school, from boarding school. Right. You know, they ran away from school together. They, they, you know, so they've been friends for a long time. And but then I guess what, this is what happens. You start, you just, what can happen if you start a band with your friends, you start to, to annoy each other. And, or maybe, you know, they, they get on, they get on stage. Uh, Richard Hell tells this in his this story in his memoir. There's, like, there's one particular show where he's come off stage. And he's like, "That was so great, you know. It was like just was so much fun and so great." And Tom Valley is just like, "No, no it wasn't. No, <laughs> oh that was God. that was that was sloppy." And I think um, like to hear Berlin tell it, like like Richard Hell liked to jump all over the stage, and and Tom Valley is like, "You know what? You're jumping around the stage while I'm singing, it's kind of a distract." 
ding. <laughs> and I think I think that's a fair point, sure. actually. You know, it's yeah. I, I don't know. I've seen bands like that too, where I'm just like, all right, hold on, it's, uh, it's, someone's singing right now, and you're like doing this kind of loopy thing over here, um, which seems fun to you, but it is a I don't know. Well, maybe you're just different. They're just a different thing. He he needed to be in uh, his own. I mean, you, yeah. you say that like love comes in spurts, like shouldn't be on a television record next to Venus. It's it <laughs> right. incongruous, but both are great songs. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, both of them are great artists. And-, and also Richard Hell, I think has in his solo work, it's not all uh, just p- like piss and vinegar. There's actually a lot of, there is a sensitive and l- lyrical and poetic side to his work as well especially like a song like time oh absolutely yeah I, I think that is where you you see maybe where they really felt like the most deeply connected why they were ever drawn to each other in the first place they they both really do have this poetic soul under everything yes yes that's true time and time again i knew what i was doing and Time and time again, I just made things worse. It seems you see the most of what is really true when you're stepping into your hers. Only time can write a song that's really, really real. The most a man can do is say the way it's playing field. And no, he only knows as much as time to him reveal. I mean, thinking about it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'm biased because of our area of focus for the last close to a year at this point. But I mean, it's a very similar dynamic to my eyes as as Lou and John, you know, just like, you know, very, you know, uh, um, fire and ice, like complementary kind of artistic personalities in one band that ultimately just proved to be you know, too, too big for, for one unit to hold. And, you know, it, it yeah. I think it ultimately makes sense that television existed and also the voidoids existed, uh, the same way that, you know, obviously I, I guess the pre, the, the original velvets existed, the post John velvets existed, then John solo career existed, then lose. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, some, some of these units are just like too, there's just too much going on to be contained within a single name, a single, you know, kind of, uh, entity. And also that, yeah, they're young. They're like 20, 25, yeah, exactly. 26 years old. And also, I mean, you know, Richard Hell is 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 starting to do smack. So maybe that maybe that's an element too. Sure. I mean, I've seen sure. the mission. So I mean, that's a that's a that's a thing. I don't know. Do you want to be in? Uh, and I guess not the only one in the band. You know, Lloyd Lloyd went went down that road too. For mm-hmm. a while, so yeah, Richard Lloyd's probably puts a strain. Autobiography is not very kind to Tom Verlaine. He uh, he really seems to resent him at least in that book it's like oh, i haven't lot. read it it's a really fun yeah. read it's like very colorful um in in every way you, you would imagine and um there's yeah some parts where he's straight up is just like and tom he would carry his clothes in a plastic garbage bag when we would uh travel because he didn't want to <laughs> pay for luggage and uh and and tom he was so greedy that you know some woman was like we're gonna get you a bunch of nice clothes and i looked at him and he was rubbing his hands together like we got away with something it was just like nitpicking these little things it seems like it's not about those actual things he did it's more just about uh the 
the friction and my, yeah, it's more about at, at that at at that point they probably loathe each other, so everything that the other one does is is annoying. Well, but you know, I feel like if I look at interviews, like I look at like Richard Lloyd in, in, on YouTube, I'm, I'm I'm a you know a fantastic guitar player, very smart guy, but I'm just like just like personality wise, you can just sort of tell right away. I'm just like, all right, you know, I don't want to see him lasting long <laughs> yeah and with, he's still around with, with Berlin. yes he is and uh, he's got some no not not lasting long lasting yeah. long in a band in the band, in with the band yeah. <laughs> well they, they yeah. did last quite a, a while longer than richard hell anyway but over time it seems like television becomes more about uh having people in the band who can do the thing at it's a it just be professional and execute these songs and um yeah, it's about the music above all in that way. I mean, that's one of the things I think that is so like fantastic about or so interesting about television to me is that it is a band like it, you know, there used to be like you could just be a band without putting records out, you know, at, at a certain like and television is the perfect example of this X in Los Angeles, uh, you know, a, a few years later they ended up putting records out obviously, but like or Black Flag or something, you know, you could just exist as a band in a city, you know, in the midst of a scene and just play shows and people would come and, you know, you kind of existed as a unit and you didn't necessarily have any sort of physical media products that were pressed and, you know, printed and and ready to sell at stores across the country and stuff. Um, And, um, uh, you know, television obviously ends up putting out Marky Moon, but then a year later, Adventure comes out, and that's basically it. You know, obviously there's the, the reunion record, and they go on to do stuff, you know, years down the line. But they exist almost as much as, um, uh, or more, they exist almost more as just this New York scene band, like you were saying, you know, they play Sundays at CBGB's, um, than they do as, you know, a, a uh, something that you can dial up on Spotify, you know, uh, today. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess they're, they're arguably the... They're the f- the first of the, of the New York punk bands, but they're not the first to get a record out. Everyone else gets a record out before they, well, maybe not, not Richard Hell, but, um, you know, Addie Smith, Talking Heads, all those people get their yeah, records out. Dolls, yeah, Ramones. There's something there, like the, the fact that they are kind of the first punk band to be, or the one, you know, basically the first band to be labeled that. And also kind of, the best in a way doing something really profound with what they have with just what they have at hand um i think i even read that one of the reasons they called it television was because it can sound like television yeah that was uh i guess richard hell came up with that and and also it could mean far vision right Right, Chrissy Hind has said this too, that punk bands quickly, you, you come up against this thing, like you make your first record and it's all it's all kind of about, we can't play and we don't care that we can't play and this is how we, we sound rough and all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, yeah, that's that's kind of, that's a fun attitude for a record or two. Mm-hmm. But um, then, where, then where do you go? Then you, right. you know, you're going to progress beyond that. And I think television progressed very quickly the other, to the point where they're like, oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to play like three minute fast songs like all these other people. I don't want to do that. Just, I want to do something more interesting. So, and they also got, you know, they got really good. Um, a, amazing drummer as Billy well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. And one of the, something about his drumming is that it's, I think by a lot of standards, busy, but it always feels, appropriate it never feels cluttered it's always it's, yes. it's really expressive a detailed way of playing 
Yeah, well, he does. He does cool stuff. Like he's, I remember when I saw him at this biggest festival. Like, wow, well, he's like hitting the the back of the floor tom legs with a clack, clack, clack <laughs> sound. And I was, I think I said to Tom, that's weird. I haven't seen people do that. And he's like, no, that's like a jazz thing. Do people do that. Yeah, he's a jazz <laughs> drummer. But you don't know where it's going. I guess is what's interesting. We don't know what he's going to do. And I think that this is like the great thing about Tom Berlin's guitar playing as well. Like, look. <laughs> To hear Eric Clapton, he's going to go take a solo. You pretty much know what it, you know where it's going. It's like this blues thing, and I feel like um, with Belaine, I've been watching like a lot of YouTube videos of you know from the eighties and nineties, and he just like he like like he's up there, and he's just going to attack the instrument in some strange way, um, and you don't know what note he's going to play or what he's going to do. He's a yeah. Uh, he, I, I I guess his first instrument is the saxophone. Verlaine, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, as as a as a kid, yeah, and like in like in, in, in like in like fifth grade. So that's so he and so he I feel like he uh, he's not really yeah not not just a guitar player. He wanted to do something else with the instrument, and and, and you know if I you know go, come back again to like what he played on 23 minutes in Brussels, he you know, he would use like the volume knob just to make these little strange swells that come and that like <laughs> yeah, I stab, that, that stab at you. And then, you said yeah. that he didn't have a big pedal board or anything. It was all no, just no, him like, yeah. de- like, like how a chef, uh, you know, so much of cooking is actually just controlling the heat. It seems like he was, yes, it's, it's not true. all about That's, seasoning. It's, it's like literally just getting it hot when it needs to be. Uh, and for how long it seems that was how he worked volume in a way is like the main yes. factor in his tone is really interesting. Con- controlling the heat. That should be the name of this uh, episode. If you, if <laughs> yeah. you give them titles, we'll there you go. this one should have a poetic <laughs> title maybe because it's a, uh, it's, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Marky Moon um, and just how great the lyrics are all the way through it, really. Um, Poetic, you could say. <laughs> not just like as a casual descriptor of that. Like genuinely, I think he's a really great poet. And you can tell um, just in so many lines that are like just genius. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly on on a different level from what most other people. I you know I, obviously if if you're a lyricist, your 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 stuff's getting com- compared to it. It's not getting compared to Wallace Stevens or like the great. Po- you're getting compared to other rock lyricists, and it's, but his feels a little bit more like you could p- compare certain moments to. I think just straight poets, poets like uh, I mean, falling into the arms of Venus de Milo is just such an incredible idea that's a, that, that, yeah and and that one that was that was what that's one of the older songs he'd had that one around for a while because richard lloyd tells that story of going going to first going to see him play solo tom blames playing solo and he plays venus Demilo. yeah and and that's i think uh, that's part of it too right like like bands that exist more as just bands ephemeral kind of experiences to have scene and to have existed within a scene as opposed to you know artists with a deep long broad discography that you can dial up like they were around for like i mean you know neon boys were around in starting what 72 73 or something like that and then television itself yeah yeah, television itself 74 up until 
77, like 78. They, yeah, they were around yeah, for like three years. They, they, television existed mostly as a band without any recorded, you know, like press singles. I guess there's little Johnny Jewel in whatever that was, 75 or something like that. Yeah. They, they had a, just a fucking ton of reps to put in, uh, uh, you know, um, to the, the point songs. where owning exactly. But by the time they got into the studio to actually cut these just eight songs, like that was it. Uh, and some of them were songs that they had worked on, you know, over time, like Venus and others were some, uh, I think like Torn Curtain uh, was something they came up with, you know, closer to the time of the recording sessions. Um, but they just, you know, they had it, they had it down musically and presumably Verlaine had, you know, kind of had some time to figure out exactly how these lyrics, how the verses should be arranged, what the rhyme scheme was supposed to look like. Um, and it's a fascinating way just to conceive of making a record these days, which well, is just... he's also, he's also obviously someone who, who reads a lot, he, you know? Sure. I don't know. I mean, the fact that... Now he worked at the Strand. Yeah, he was, was, was <laughs> yeah, books around like that. Yeah, so he's he's interested in, in poetry and reading. And I think uh, if you want to be a good lyricist, that, that, sh- that sure helps. Isn't there a part in Friction where he says, how's a snake get out of its skin? I'm a snake, get out of its skin. Friction. How does a snake get out of its skin? Here's a depiction. Oh, right, right. The idea of friction that you're, that's how a, a snake sheds the, the dead layer is like this rubbing against it until it falls off. It's a genius line. Just, just up in this song, which I think anybody else who would be writing such a song would, it would be like, you know, tropes of, uh, of rock music. Rock music is a song about fucking. This one is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Automobiles, you know. fucking. Yeah. <laughs> dirty World. Yeah, Dirty World. Or The Usual. Uh, okay. See <laughs> um, No Evil, too. There's the first line, what I want, I want now. And it's a whole lot more than anyhow. Yeah, I mean, there's incredible lines in every one of the songs. And I mean, uh, you know, talking about Marky Moon, it's, the song Marky Moon is, you know, a little bit like talking about the Mona Lisa, as you've described talking about the Beatles, Evan. Uh, but I mean, the first verse, I remember how the darkness doubled. I recall yeah. lightning struck itself. I was listening, listening to the rain. I was hearing, hearing something else. It's like, I just, I mean, it's incredible. I, there's no, <laughs> there's no two ways around it. Like this, one of the most incredible verses in rock music. Yeah. yeah. There's something about the music too that um I was surprised when I read that he liked he liked the ventures a lot, apparently. Oh yeah. And cowboy music. I've been listening to the ventures. They're kind of easy records to find at record stores sometimes, and they're they're fun to have. And um there is this thing about television that I think you notice if you are really trying to track their trajectory, like when they're covering like their early songs, like they're playing Fire Engine a lot. Isn't that a 13th right. Floor Elevators cover? Yes, yes. Like that is kind of um, a tell in a way that like they have a, that classic rock side of them peek through um, and it really just reorients your, it, it brings home just how much they actually added to what rock music is. Um, because it's 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 just stunning that there was all this new stuff that then you notice when it's not new when it's like they're pulling out kind of a classic trick um 
there's this foundation that they, like you were saying earlier, and they like progress so quickly. Yeah. And, and I think they left so many other bands in the dust and they didn't need to make that many albums because they, they went really far really quick. That's true. Yeah. That's something great about just making a, making a few. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they have no missteps. You know, there there isn't anything. I mean, we've made our fucking entire uh, 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 show about trying to say, you know, Bob Dylan's bullshit albums from 1986 are actually good or whatever. <laughs> there is no version of that for television. It's just all like yes. everything that we have for them is just like is pure gold. Whether it's the the first couple records, whether it's the Verlaine solo career, whether it's the reunion record, like there is no <laughs> there is no had a dream about you, baby. We have to talk about the self uh, title one at some point because uh if nothing else it's under discussed i would say yeah that's right uh, uh yeah fertile territory I, yes um television i love that record um 1880 or so i mean come on 1880 or so and there's a uh, there's a there's a fantastic version of them doing that on um on english tv on the jules holland show he's wearing a hat and a baseball cap yeah he's wearing a baseball yeah. cap But um, they both play really great guitar solo, and you know, I think this is the thing about them that sometimes the the bootlegs are, are well, live versions are better than what well than what they did on record, right? Certainly, you know, not with Marky Moon, but maybe with 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 Adventure. Yeah, Adventure has a little bit of um, it's the I mean that is the one that if you want to compare it to uh, Marky Moon, it's obviously the it has big shoes to fill. Yes, exactly. How, how, are, you, how are you going to do that again? I'm going to do that twice. I've really enjoyed. I, like, I haven't listened to Adventure in years at this point, but coming back to it just in the last couple of weeks, I've really, really dug listening yeah. to it. And maybe because it's a little bit more fresh than Marky Moon, which is just like you know, it's like yeah. reading yeah. you know the the Ten Commandments the or something. It's <laughs> exactly. Um, but I mean, just glory and days that oh, yeah, that days. one, two punch to start it off is fucking, that, that yeah. might be the, one of the best, like one, two, you know, yeah. uh, track one, two starts to a record like ever basically. carried away is you know incredible. It, I sometimes feel like adventure is like a daytime record and, and murky moon, obviously more of a nighttime record. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't necessarily try to do the same things. Yeah. 
Well, and that's what's so interesting and brave about them, I think, is that, that, you know, they weren't afraid to just, like, do what, you know, they wanted to do at any given time. You know, Marky Moon is, sounds technically masterful, you know, in the midst of a bunch of, you know, New York punk records that took pride in their scrappy, who-gives-a-shit approach towards sounding good, playing well. Um, and, tell, and, you know, uh, Verlaine and, and uh, Lloyd... You know, it's just like, you know, we're going to make a beautiful record with beautiful, proficient mm-hmm. kind of music, musicianship, and it's going to sound amazing. Yeah. Well, they, they, do, they do adventure pretty quickly after Marky Moon as well. So that's that classic thing of, you know, all the, all the, all the, all the great songs go on the first album. They're like, oh, what, what, what do we got now? What do we got now? It's their, uh, it's their on fire following up uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got this like half baked theory that um, there's certain bands like in any given era of or like moment where there's a, a scene where it's like one band is holding it down for the artistic integrity of that that moment and it often doesn't become obvious until late, much later which bands were doing that like which bands were really kind of legitimizing the whole the whole right. project of trying to do this. And I think they're one that now it's like, yeah, they, they were holding it down for, uh, this is why anybody would try to be in a band. It's because it yeah. can be this good. Like they're not, they're not jumping on some, on the, on a bandwagon. That's for sure. Yeah. They're kind of, uh, driving it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that there's uh, a, an easy way to wrap all this up. Uh, I think I feel like we've all just <laughs> sat down here and just ended up scatting all over the place. But yes, it's that's kind true. Of, it's kind of fitting, to be honest. You know, I, 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 it's. Um, I mean, there's so much to just appreciate, and it's obviously. I mean, uh, it, it's such a recent kind of memory. And I, I, as we record this thing, it was just what, like a week ago, ten days ago that that yeah. line passed. So, I mean, it's. It's. It, I don't think it's something that anyone has processed or digested yet. It's been. It's been a a, a rough season. For, we've lost the three amazing guitar players that I think in the last couple of months. You know, Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. Tom Berlain, Keith Levine from Public Image. That's another one. Mm. It's just like yeah. all of these. All of the, all three of them amazing players that uh, cannot be replaced. No. You don't get another Tom Verlaine in your band. You don't get um, some session guy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think, that, again, that's, that's kind of the, the highest compliment you can pl- play, pay a musician is that they, that you hear them play and like, oh, that's, that's who that, that's mm-hmm. Tom Verlaine. Like, sure. it, couldn't be, it couldn't be anyone else at that moment. Well, Thanks so much for joining us, Dean. This, yeah, thank uh, thank uh, you. <laughs> was a great pleasure uh, to just you know be able to talk to someone who knew the guy, worked worked with the guy, had Indian food with the guy. <laughs> he and, did have uh, Indian food. <laughs> you seem to like Indian food. Yes, he does. Sure, he did. Yeah. You know, you also said that his playing was a little bit like playing a, like a sitar player. Maybe he was reincarnated. It's uh, <laughs> a beautiful way. I hope so. <laughs> The next time we have you on, uh, Dean, will be for a more, uh, you know, kind of uh, happy uh, conversation or, or uh, forward-looking. But we really appreciate you uh, giving us your time and privileged uh, insights into the world of Tom Verlaine. Joker Men. Joker Men.